Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Thursday, August 11th, and today we're going to start by talking about the mystery Lululemon board member's resignation, and then we're going to talk about what has just been an awful year for short sellers. Uh, So Chris, let's start with the Lululemon mystery board member. Uh, This is one of my favorite stories of the year. Uh, I'll give some background and then you can jump in whenever you want. But uh, on earlier this week, one of Lululemon's board members resigned, and they had been subject of a really interesting campaign. Uh, it turned out that people were calling her something of a ghost board member, and this all started in June. Uh, Lululemon's founder slash largest shareholder sent a letter to shareholders calling for action. Uh, he said the company's been underperforming peers for the past couple years. Uh, they, you know, Under Armour stock has run way up. Nike stock has done very well. Lululemon stock has been kind of flat. And he not only placed the blame on management's feet, but he also placed the blame on the board's feet. And he did an interview with Jim Cramer where he specifically blamed long-standing board members. Uh, so naturally, some news outlets wanted to talk to those board members. One of the board members was Rhoda Pitcher. She'd served since 2005. And she was literally unfindable. Uh, the place she had a master's from was unaccredited. Its address showed a, The address of the place she was supposed to have gotten a master's from showed a residential home, not a college. She ran a consultant agency that had no website, no verifiable clients, and its listed address seemed to be for something else. And I mean, speculation of who she was and if she was a ghost board member ran rampant. And she was serving as the head of the nominating and governance committee plus the compensation committee. So, I mean, these are this is an important person at a $10 billion company who was kind of just gone or a ghost. So I'll let you jump in with what you thought about it. Rhoda, if you're one of our listeners, we would just like to apologize for questioning <laughs> your existence. And uh, uh, thank you very much for supporting our podcast. Uh, if you're not, I, I would like to say it's just, um, it, it might be hard to emphasize how weird it is to be this lacking in the normal things associated with existing when you're a director of a large company. Uh, I mean, this would be in a smaller medium town, a leader of the community, and even the biggest cities, you'd be kind of in the leading circles. And this is somebody who just does not seem to exist. Yeah. So, like, we we follow like you know fifty million market cap banks, and their director will generally be directors will generally be like the guy who runs the local yeah. auto dealership and stuff. But everyone's at least got some directors are business leaders. They've got some form of business person. Almost always, you know, even a a director of a small bank will have dozens of philanthropy references, usually uh, some political donations and political references, just events and family stuff, extracurricular stuff, business stuff, awards, just something. And this is one of the most important board members at one of the biggest companies in the U.S. who had less of an internet presence than like literally people's dogs in my apartment complex do it's just unbelievable uh so anyway in late july you know all the scandal broke late july the ceo gave an interview and said that uh miss pitcher was she's staying on the board she says he says she has a deep understanding of the culture she was influential in hiring him as ceo she's a really important part of the company needless to say she resigned two or three weeks later earlier this week uh so chris hilarious story what do you make of it it's weird. Uh, you know, one of the things that's weird is if this is somebody who exists biologically but does not exist in terms of academic credentials and so forth, you know, some of these people, 
probably have legitimate stories and maybe should even be on boards of directors. They're just not telling the truth. Yeah. But the, this this has a very strange aspect to it. In some ways, it reminds you of the Yahoo CEO before Marissa mm-hmm. Meyer who got busted because he said he had a computer science degree from, I think it was UCLA or UC Berkeley or something. And an activist did research and said, like, actually, you didn't get a degree. And he resigned because he had been lying on his resume. But this is such a weird one. Like, your existence is questioned. Just go out and do a TV interview. You can consult this in 30 seconds. And for some reason, that wasn't in, on, in the cars or on the table. Sadly, uh, some of the things that people make up are no more impressive to me than if they were just really scrappy people and they learned on the fly. Just tell the truth. Yeah. The Yahoo CEO, I mean, you're the head of a computer uh, organization. Like, if you didn't get a degree, you just self-taught yourself programming and you were an amazing programmer and manager. Awesome. Uh, you know, one thing I take away from this, I think it's both this and the Yahoo example, it shows the growing power of internet research, deep dive investigative mm-hmm. journalism. Like in this case, the lead board member, one of the lead board members for a $10 billion company resigned because someone was curious and willing to ask the right questions and couldn't get the right answers. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's very uh, uncredentialed. Uh, anybody can do it. There's an enormous amount of information. Uh, you just kind of keep poking. And then what I really find is it's really the interaction of going back and forth between primary data sources. And then just when you get something curious, find the person responsible for that and ask questions, mm-hmm. whether financial advisors or legal advisors or managers or directors. And I always find the directors are totally appropriate people to call directly. And if somebody uh, even for a moment says, well, there are things I can't say, I would say, of course, there are things you can't say. I'm a shareholder of yours. Can you listen? Yeah. And if you have a thesis and you're respectful, they can't help but give some kind of reaction. And, and that's what the, you know, and sometimes the reaction is I can't comment on that. Uh, if they sound, and the reaction a lot of times can tell you a lot. Like if yeah. they say, my lawyers say I can't comment on that versus, oh, you know, I haven't thought about that. Those are two – both of those give you no no direct answer, but those give you two very different clues. In this case, if I thought she was real or not and she refused to come on TV or say anything, I would think she's a ghost to be honest with you. Uh, let's turn to investing opportunities. I'll let you jump in here. We've obviously been talking about Lululemon for a while. What do you think of Lululemon as an investment opportunity? Uh, you know, this has been a very old kind of short mouth bet of mine. I think very small scale. I might have had shorts here and there, but it hasn't worked nearly as much as I would have thought. It's the stock looks really expensive to me. Their clothes look really expensive and replicable to me. But what do I know? Every 30-something woman in this town has a black Range Rover or Suburban, depending on how many kids, and wears black Lululemon yoga pants. You know, and so uh, what? I mean, they're not going to stop just because I think their pants are expensive. I'm laughing because before the podcast came on, we were talking before, and Chris came and was like, I don't understand it. Like, it's just spandex. Why are people paying so much money for it? Uh, I think it's a great question. Uh, you know, they're expensive. And on the on the pricing point, one interesting thing is we talked about this earlier. Nike, you know, their shoes are just fabric made in a Chinese factory, to be honest. But somehow they've been able to sell those shoes for $100 plus for years. So I do think there's evidence that good clothing and good apparel can have a brand. And there is room to have some form of athletic brand. But like you're saying, this is an expensive stock. It's trading at 40 times earnings. It's got a great brand, but there's been a lot of competition. Both Under Armour and Nike are really pushing into mm-hmm. kind of the women's athleisure thing. 
And Lululemon, look, their same stores have come way down. They used yeah. to do 20% plus all the time. Now they're in the low single digits. They've had supply chain issues. Obviously, the board oversight might not be great. <laughs> Margins for the company have come down. There's a lot of questions. Go ahead. Nike or Under Armour could think about buying them, but whenever they call a board member, they don't because <laughs> they don't exist. We would have loved to buy them, but we couldn't get a new Under Armour. We have a big premium, but nobody got you know, And they could get bought, but it's just the stock's not cheap enough where I can see this big premium that we can kind of take advantage yeah. of on an expected basis. I think one of the things we both like is we like to buy companies and hold them until someone else, someone else recognizes strategic value yeah. and buys them out from us that's kind of our natural exit here potential acquirers you know nike and under armor have been discussed on and off for years as acquirers i think that's kind of off the table both have built pretty good women's businesses at this point go ahead uh, uh, vf corp uh, which we've looked at in the past is another uh, potential uh, uh, buyer i mean th- the way i always think about this is i want to be stuck between getting a premium or having a value investment, yeah. and this one would just really be a gamble on such a deal. Yeah. But if it was, if I was going to gamble on it, which I'm not going to do, uh, VF would be a, a very yeah. logical. Buy. VF Corp owns North Face and Timberland. They've called themselves uh, brand accumulators, and they don't have an athleisure brand. So a lot of people have said that's a company they haven't done a deal in five years. That's a company that might be itching to do a deal and could expand here. You know, you mentioned value investment. I think it's a natural question. Would private equity want to buy them? Private equity firm Advent owns uh, 15 or 20% of them. But like you said, value investment, I don't think a private equity firm could pay anywhere close to today's price and realize a good return on their investment. I'll let you have the last thought unless you want to move on to short sellers. Short sellers. So let's move on to short sellers. So Lululemon has been on and off a pretty highly shorted stock. Under Armour is a very highly shorted stock right now. So that brings us to what has been an awful year for shorts. Uh on Monday, South African retailer, the Steinhoff Group, announced an acquisition of Mattress Firm for $64 per share, which is a massive 115% premium to the prior day price. I mean, this is the stuff dreams are made for, made of if you're long. Go ahead. I want to say that every week that there's been a major deal, I've known at least one person significantly short the deal yep. target. And, and we're going to get there in a second. But, okay. you know, analysts were just shocked by the price. Uh, I've seen a lot of quotes along the line of Stifles analysts who said, uh, to say we were surprised by the news and the price would be an understatement. Uh, and, you know, like you were saying, shorts were really surprised. Almost 20% of shares were shorted, which is a mammoth number. I went and looked it up, and I think it was the 20th most shorted stock on all of NASDAQ. So shorts were just in a world of hurt with a 115% premium. Uh, do you want to talk about why Mattress Firm was so heavily shorted? Or? You know, I was just going to say, uh, and this is... Perhaps obvious, but if you don't do shorting, uh, something to think about is if you have a 5% position and it gets cut in half, the fact that your performance in that position is getting destroyed slowly takes you out of your misery because about the only good news you have is, well, now you only have a 2.5% position and whatever's going horribly wrong. But if you have a 5% position and it doubles... Now you have a 10% position that's moving against you and you're you're, you're short. Uh, And uh, so the dynamics can just be very fraught. So let's just go through the dynamics real quickly. So uh, shorting a stock, a normal investor, when they buy a stock, they hope to buy low and sell high. So you buy it and then you hope to sell it higher. When you short a stock, you're actually doing the reverse. You're selling it high, hoping to buy it low. And like you're saying, it can be risky. You buy a stock, your loss is limited to what you put in it. Your upside is theoretically infinite. You short a stock, your gain is limited to what you put into it. And theoretically, your upside is unlimited. So it can uh, be very expensive if you're wrong. Why were shorts all over Mattress Firm? Uh, I think there were two reasons. A, Mattress Firm, they own Sleepies and Mattress Firms. They sell, they sell uh, mattresses in stores, and that's getting disrupted by online things like Casper, which 
cut out the salesman commission for the person who sells you the mattress. They cut out the lease and they sell arguably a better pro- product. And the other thing, go ahead. We have a sleepies downstairs from we us. Do. And if I needed to buy a mattress, which I might to, to, to I would just get it on Casper yep. online so that I didn't have to walk one story down <laughs> to go talk to somebody in the store. Why would I want to talk to them? I can just get it online for a fair price and probably a better product. And, and you would get it a lot. You would get it cheaper too because you don't have to pay yeah. for the commission, better product. The other reason a lot of shorts were on this is Mattress Firm was a big roll-up. They bought Sleepy's, Mattress Giant, a couple others. And a lot of people thought they might be playing accounting games with the roll-ups to hide a weak fundamental business. Go ahead. One of the easiest ways to hide accounting shenanigans is an M&A. Because if you do a lot of M&A, you realize how much uh, art goes into the accounting and you can do it correctly and honorably. But boy, it's an easy place to hide a lot of mischief. You can kind of move the expenses around. You can make your growth numbers look different. This is what a lot of people argued Valiant was doing. And it it, it seems like they were pretty right. Valiant was doing this, being a big, giant pharma roll-up to Mm -hmm. hide weak underlying business. So it continues an awful year for shorts. It seems every week, as you said, something that had a big short position is getting bought out. Solar City, Mattress Firm, Outer Wall, Apollo Education all come to mind. We've talked about uh, why shorting is risky. And generally, because shorting is so risky, something with a high short interest, it's seen as a big red flag because shorts are confident and they're seen as some of the smartest players. They're confident that there are issues with the business. Why don't you talk about why so many short... Red flag short companies are getting bought out today. I think, uh, you know, value investors talk about uh, the market is a voting machine in the short term and a counting machine, uh, a weighing machine in the long term. I, I've always liked that uh, old saw. Uh, but uh, the difference is you kind of get to the long term real fast when you have to pay back the money you've borrowed. But when interest rates are extremely low, close to zero, it doesn't force things out of that. So if something kind of, if, if it has uh, com- the market's confidence in a given idea uh, and it's getting easy credit, it's very hard, even if in some extent, to some extent, the shorts are right yep. for them to realize their rightness in a survivable period of time. Exactly. If you can borrow something at a 0% interest rate, uh, you can go buy anything at almost any price. And if stock markets are running and the only things that look cheap on the surface are things with high short interest, you can talk yourself into buying things with a lot of hair on them because you can get them a lot cheaper than everything else. That plus 0% interest has created just this dynamic of buying everything that's got a high short interest and uh it's been tough go ahead it's very unsettling i mean my kids know i like natural consequences i think people should be punished for bad decisions and uh this has been a very unpunishing year for a lot of uh, short uh, targets you know i think the other two things so we talked about the low interest rate i think the other two questions are you know a have shorts lost it short the short game has been very picked over as at the end of a seven-year bull run people look for things that will go down when the market goes up so shorts are very picked over are they just extending too far and going too aggressive and i think the other thing very the other side of the same coin is you know a seven-year bull market people are desperate for value you kind of never know who's naked until the who's swimming naked until the tide goes out people might just be buying things and the shorts are right and two or three years later there's going to be a lot of write-offs and a lot of pain for the Mm -hmm. people who bought them i'll let you have the last word you know i've only i've had a couple uh of uh two uh since i've started working uh 
short ideas that got bought for decent sized premiums. Uh, and I was very, very lucky. Uh, in the first, I just didn't happen to be short at that moment was Questor, uh, Q-Core, that I, I really thought was expensive and risky. Uh, it got bought. And then, and then one other uh, uh, IOC more recently. Uh, so this, this can happen, but it's, it's a very uh, tricky thing uh, because in a sense, when there's M&A, that was the right answer. Somebody with inside information uh, wanted to uh, own them. So in a sense, the short was a mistake, but there's still a glimmer of hope that it might actually uh, make sense uh, in, in, its, in its subsequent uh, corporate form. You know, QuestCore is an interesting one because QuestCore was brought by Mallinckrodt mm-hmm. and then Mallinckrodt kind of imploded in the whole Valiant blowup that's happened over the recent, in the past couple of months last year. So QuestCore is another example. You can be short something and write. Someone buys it and then it's their problem and it might blow up three, four, five years later. But if you're not short something if you're long something and you're right, you have the benefit of time. Yeah. If you're short something and you're and you're right, you don't have the benefit of time. It really has to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some big short names now? GoPro, Shake Shack, Herbalife, JC Penny, Under Armour are some of the highest short interest names out there right now. So Take that for what it, it's worth. I'll give you 10 seconds on the, la- on the last word if you want it, Chris. Nothing for me. Nothing for Chris. So that's all the time we have for today. Just before we hit our disclosures, a reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email to us at podcast at rangedcapital.com. Disclosure, I think neither of us have any disclosure. Uh, so that's all the time we have for today, and we'll talk to you next week.